We come to the beginning of the season we call Lent. Its original purpose was to use the six weeks before Easter to prepare ourselves so that when we get to Easter, it's not just a one big flash and off we go. Uh, We'll be thinking and preparing ourselves coming up to those events which led to the crucifixion of Christ and then, of course, his resurrection. And so... Those events, the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, are the greatest events in the history of the world. Nothing else compares to those two events. I don't care if it's world war. I don't care if it's mighty empires. They all fall away in sight of that one thing, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so to prepare ourselves for it is a very proper thing to do. Because we tend to be forgetful, we tend to wander away from thoughts sometimes, and this is to bring our focus in, and remember, here's somebody who loved us and died for us, and did such wonderful things for us, and why we can come and sing, right? We're here because he can make us uh, joyful inside, and he's done wonderful things for us, and so we focus in on that for the next six weeks. Coming up to the Easter season where we'll be having Good Friday service and then, of course, Easter Sunday, two services as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And we have been talking about it a little bit in Sunday school, peeking ahead, and uh, we'll be doing that a little bit more today. Mark chapter 10 is our text for today. Mark's Gospel, we continue in Mark's Gospel as we have been since the beginning of the year. Chapter number 10 in Mark's Gospel as we begin our thoughts on the Lenten service. When I was a young boy, we used to spend a week a few times on an island off the coast of Cape Cod that was called Monomoy Island. On that island was a rustic cabin on the west side of the island. and We stayed in it. It was very rustic. (laughs) On the south side of the island was the very best fishing. My father and his friend who was also on the island would go there to fish for flounder. And we kids would go along because we liked to go and we would bury all the flying fish in the sand, the junk fish that they caught. So we had something to do. But before we left to go over there, we were given stern instructions from my mother. Do not wade in the water on the south side of the island. Under no circumstances are you to go into the ocean or even try to run from the waves, you know, try to outrun them. If you do, the undertow will carry you out into the ocean. Uh, On the south end of Monomoy Island, there's a very strong undertow. Now, as you stand on any shore, you watch, you'll see the waves always coming in towards the shore. It always appeared to the eye the waves are rushing towards the shore. Uh, But just out a little bit in certain places, just out from the shore, there's a strong current under the surface that pulls away from the shore in the opposite direction of the waves. And if you get caught in the undertow, even a very strong swimmer will not be able to escape the current under the surface. The undertow will pull you out to sea and you'll drown in the waves. 
So mom gave very stern warning. Do not go into that water. The undertow will carry you away, which scared me to death, so I didn't. <laughs> undertow, a current that pulls in the opposite direction. Our text today, Jesus recognizes the danger of the undertow. Now, so far, we've seen Jesus surrounded by huge crowds, thronged by people, under a constant flow of requests for help and for healing. And it looks like all the world has gone after Jesus. That's what appears to be the case, that all the world is crazy for Jesus. And that's the waves on the surface. Now... There is an undertow, a strong current developing a pull in the opposite direction. Last week we saw Jesus rejected by the people of his own hometown, Nazareth. Uh, but there are more than the people of Nazareth who reject Jesus. You recall in our studies a couple of weeks ago, in Capernaum, Jesus on the Sabbath day had healed a man, called him up to the front of the service, and had a man with a withered hand that didn't work. Jesus said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And as he did, the man's hand was healed on the Sabbath day. Now, uh, the next verse in that passage says this, The Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against Jesus, how they might destroy him. And so the undertow begins. Several cases will come up where it's very clear that people are against him. Later on in Jerusalem, uh, the Jews came to Jesus and they said, Now, we doubt it, but... If you really are the Messiah, the Christ, tell us. Tell us plainly so that we'll know. And here's what Jesus said here in John chapter 10. He said, I and my Father are one. And the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou, being a man, makest thyself to be God. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hands. And so, once again, the, the tide is against Jesus. They tried to stone him. Just a little while later, Jesus went to the tomb of a man called Lazarus and called him out of the grave after being dead for four days. And the response to that, that wonderful event, was this. They gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, What do we, for this man does many miracles, and if we leave him alone, all men will believe on him. And from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. So now, not only in Galilee, but down in Jerusalem, the leaders of the temple are making plans to kill Jesus any way they can figure it out. So the undertow that pulls in the opposite direction is now very strong. Jesus has enemies who tried to stone him once and are planning to take his life in whatever way seems possible. Jerusalem has come a dangerous place 
or Jesus of Nazareth. And so I'm sure it was a great sadness in the heart of Jesus. The record of his life was that he went about doing good, but the undertow was that he was despised and rejected by the people whom he came to save. It's a sad thing. So we come to our text as we begin this season of Lent, and I'm in Mark's Gospel in chapter number 10. I start reading at verse number 32. And they were on the way going to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. Now, after one last trip north, Jesus and the disciples are now returning to Jerusalem, walking as they did all over. Uh, They begin one final trip down to Jerusalem. And then it says that they were amazed at him. As they walked down the road, they were amazed. Now why? What's the amazing about walking down the road? Well, they've never seen Jesus behaving this way before. They've been following him all over the countryside for three and a half years, and they've never seen him act like this before. What was it that amazed them? He's walking way ahead of them. He's filled with determination. He's got this very intense look at it on his face. And it's as if he's in a hurry to get there. And they say, look at him. The last time we went there, they tried to kill him. I don't know. I think there's trouble waiting for us. And so it says that they were afraid. Listen to what he says. They were in the way going to Jerusalem. Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. They're afraid. And they wonder, so why is Jesus so full of determination? What's his hurry? Why is he pushing ahead? Well, finally, they stop somewhere for water, for food, or whatever it is, and they begin. Verse 32, he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes. They shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him, and shall scourge him, shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Now my friends, this is one of the most perplexing, mind-boggling passages in the whole Bible. When I try to wrap my mind around it, I find it extremely difficult to explain. On their calendar, it's probably Thursday or Friday, the week before Good Friday, the Friday called Good. And they're about two days out of Jerusalem, traveling south to Jerusalem. 
Jesus stops along the road and he tells the disciples exactly what will happen to him when they get to Jerusalem. He will be arrested, he'll be put on trial, he'll be condemned to die and killed. He can't say it any plainer than that. And he adds four details to make the story complete. Number one, he says, I will be mocked. Number two, I will be scourged or whipped. Number three, they will spit on me. And number four, they're going to kill me. So he's laid out the series of events that are just about a week away. And now here's what baffles me. When these events begin to unfold early in the morning on what we call Good Friday, the disciples are shocked, completely taken by surprise. They run, they hide, they disappear for three whole days as if they were never told what was going to happen. How can they be so completely taken off guard after Jesus spelled it out so clearly? I just can't comprehend how they were so baffled after Jesus laid it out the way he did. So let's try to reason it out. Maybe we can think it out and come to a conclusion. We asked the first question, was it because they didn't really believe what Jesus said? No, I don't think so. I think if you ask the disciples, do you believe that what Jesus says is truth, they would all answer, oh yes, he is the great teacher. He can completely be trusted to tell the truth. Everything he says is true. So, why did you ignore what he said as if you didn't believe it? Well, I guess it's got nothing to do with me. My friends, I suppose that's still true today. There are some people who will say, the Bible is God's word. Every page is true. It's the infallible word of God. Every word is truth, and there is no error in the Bible. And so if I turn to 1 John and I read to them, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. What about that? Is that true? They say, well, yeah, but it's got nothing to do with me. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, no man can serve two masters. Well, that doesn't apply to me. Doesn't apply to me. People think that way. I wonder how we can take truth and set it up on a shelf and say, well, that one doesn't have anything to do with me. So my friends, when Jesus told the disciples that this is what's going to happen to me, it didn't seem to register. So what were they thinking? Well, let's see what they were thinking. Verse 35. 
James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand, the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. That's what they were thinking? Jesus, there are two seats, one on the left hand, one on the right hand, on your throne. And so we're asking, and we want you to grant our request today, we're asking if you'll give us those two seats. So that's what you're thinking. Jesus, we want to be the two most respected, important men in your whole kingdom. The right-hand man and the left-hand man. And we're asking right now for those two seats of power. Now, if I was Jesus, my first response would be, wow, you got a lot of gold. And who do you think you are? That's what I would say. But there's something kind of sad here. Jesus just poured out his heart to his disciples. He said, I'm going to be misused and condemned and they're going to kill me. And nobody says, how can we help? What can we do? We don't want to lose you. How can we live without you? No, nobody said that. Instead, they say, we want the number one and number two spots for ourselves. The only word I can think of must be in Jesus' mind is disappointment. Hmm? His 12 closest followers what are his best friends. All they can think of is, I want to be somebody. They didn't consider Jesus' feelings. They just thought about themselves. How disappointing and sad for Jesus. But Jesus is such a superior person. He amazes me. He's so faithful and true. And he's kind. He's especially kind. Listen to how he responds to this outrageous question. Verse 38. Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now what is this cup Jesus is talking about? What is the baptism he's talking about? Jesus will sit on a throne of power. Disciples are right about that. But before he does, he has to drink out of a cup. And in the cup are bitter things and difficult things. The dregs are what the cup holds. And Jesus has to drink all of it, all the bitter, before he can go sit on that throne. And then he says there's a baptism. He must go under the deep water. He must submerge himself in the deep, dark waters before he can take the throne. He must submerge himself in suffering and then in death 
and then he can take that throne. And he says to James and John, can you drink that cup? My cup. And can you be baptized in my water? Verse 39. And they said unto him, we can. (laughs) Yeah, 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 we can do it. Nothing to it. And Jesus said unto them, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. With the baptism I am baptized with, there all shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand, on my left hand, is not mine to give. It shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. The two men who asked this outrageous question are James and John. Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. (laughs) They were loud and obnoxious and boisterous, overbearing and right on the verge of being rude. That's why he called them that. But Jesus is right. They would drink of a bitter cup. James was the first disciple to die for the cause of Christ in the book of Acts. And it tells us that Herod killed him so he could get a couple of political points with the Jews. John, his brother, would be exiled to an island out in the ocean called Patmos, left alone to survive, deserted on an island in the Mediterranean Sea. Yes, they would someday suffer for the Lord, but Jesus said those two seats, right hand and left hand, God's prepared them for someone very special, not for you. So, okay, Jesus has answered their question. Arrogant as it was, Selfish as it was, he still patiently answered their question. So is it over? Verse 41. When the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. The other disciples heard what James and John asked, and they got all upset. Why? Because they asked stupid questions? No. Because they wanted to ask the same question. And James and John beat them to it. Now they're upset about it. First come, first serve, they think it must be. Jesus had poured out his heart to them. He told them what was about to happen to them, to him. And from them he got no sympathy and he got no support. Only, what can you do for me? Now my friends... We get here one of the most important lessons for the season of Lent. As Jesus explains the way he wants things to operate among his followers. Jesus is going to try to correct their thinking. So listen closely now. Verse 42. But Jesus called to them, them to him and saith to them, You know that they which are counted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be among you. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Jesus says, here's the way the world works. 
The Gentiles rule by authority. They tell people what to do, and they expect them to do what they say. People in power demand obedience. That's the way the world works. But that's not how my disciples are supposed to behave. It shall not be so among you. If you want to be important, then be a servant. If you want to be the chief, then be the servant of all. The most important people, says Jesus, are the greatest servants. The leader will be the servant of everybody. And then Jesus goes on to explain further. Now, my friends, let's stop a minute. Let's go back. Because we left one question unanswered. Why did Jesus walk ahead of them on the way to Jerusalem? Why was he filled with this resolute determination? Why was he so intense as he's walking down the road? And why did it seem like he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem? He himself said, they will mock me, and they will whip me, and they will spit on me, and they will kill me. Why is he in a hurry for that? Verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, I didn't come here to have people wait on me. I didn't come here to have people serve me. I came to wait on them. And I came to serve them. And so I healed their fevers. And I cleansed their leprosy. And I opened their eyes and I cast out their demons. And I made the lame to walk. And I fed 5,000. I waited on them all. But now, he's going to do one more thing for them. Something better than he ever did before. He's going to give his life, he says, a ransom. That is, he would lay down his life to pay for their sins. He would sacrifice himself to purchase their freedom. He would die so they could live. And so he's in a hurry. He's determined to go. Spit on him? Well, yes, they would. Mock him? Oh, yes, they will. But rising above them, he stretches out his arms as he's nailed on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yes, he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus said, I delight to do the will of God. I want to go and sacrifice myself for the many who will believe in me. Hebrews 12 tells us that he endured the shame. He despised it. Endured the pain and sorrow, despising the shame. Why? Because of the joy that lay on the other side. What was on the other side of the cross? He knew what was over there. Redeemed saints. 
bought by the precious blood of Jesus and surrounded, gathered around the throne of God, casting their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and wisdom and power and strength and blessing. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to Him all majesty describe. And crown Him Lord of all. His intense determination was to go and finish the work that He was given to do. So my friends, don't ever think it's got nothing to do with you. It's all about what Jesus did for you. Accept it. Don't just accept it. Seize it. Grab it. Take it. Make it yours. There's an old, old song that says, We may not know, we cannot tell what pain he had to bear, but we believe it was for us. He hung and suffered there. He said, I come to give my life a ransom for many. Make sure you are included in the many. Remember, he let them spit on him so they could rescue you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the courage and the determination that made you walk faster with more intensity to go to Jerusalem and to a cross and to be a Savior. And especially thank you, thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and bow before you. You know what was in your heart and the determination set you to go and we want to be determined for you and intense for you and so we ask that you would help us we reach out to you and ask for your help make us understand and know the will of God make us want to do it and we bow our hearts to you this day we believe in you with all of our hearts we thank you for what you did. Our words do not express it enough. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Let the people rejoice. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. We thank you for what you've done. Bless us now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn book to page number 85. Page number 85 in closing, standing as they sing, page number 85, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. Standing as they sing, number 85. Page number 85.
Safely, we pray to this place, and we're grateful for every blessing we have in your name. 